Welcome to the Longest Day podcast. I'm Leah, your host and the founder of Broadstairs Consulting. We are an advisory and mediation consultancy, bringing clarity, focus, and momentum to organizations by helping leaders find creative solutions that work. We help rebuild relationships and facilitate effective dialogue. We are convinced that people matter and that conversations count, so we started The Longest Day, a series of conversations where we learn from the resilience, determination, and candor of our guests. As they look back on their longest days, our hope is that it will empower you to look forward. We hope their stories will be a part of shaping yours. Today's guest is Mike Gatting, OBE, former England cricketer. Mike played first-class cricket for 23 years, representing England for 18 of them. He was captain for an impressive 23 test matches between 1986 and 1988. And although now retired from playing, he's still involved in the top level of the sport he spent his life competing in. Domestically, he made his Middlesex debut aged 18, amassing more than 30,000 runs with 96 centuries. His spell as captain ran from 1983 to 1996, and he guided Middlesex to three county championship titles during that time. Internationally, he played 79 tests and 92 one-day internationals for England, scoring more than 6,500 runs, including 11 centuries. During his two years as captain of England, he led the country to a resounding victory in Australia during the 1986-1987 Ashes Tour. Mike is former president of both the MCC and the Lord Taverners, a charity that exists to empower and positively impact the lives of young people facing the challenges of inequality. He continues to be a long-standing member and supporter of the charity and a current serving member of the MCC World Cricket Committee. Mike, thank you for coming on The Longest Day. Uh, I wonder if you might like to tell our listeners about your longest day. Well, I think it was probably not just a day. It, uh, it sort of went on much longer than I thought. And I sadly, for I don't know if it's sadly or not, I had two sort of uh, times in my career which really sort of uh, tested the sort of mental sort of, uh, I suppose, toughness or, or, or durability or whatever you want to call it. One was uh, when I sadly had the... Uh, uh, argument with the umpire in, in Pakistan, which took two or three days to go go through and, and sort of affected the rest of the trip. But I think the one that I'd say was the longest day sort of didn't last a day, but lasted the, the best part of a month or so um, when I got hit on the nose by Malcolm Marshall. And it was the first time I'd ever been hit anywhere around uh, that, that was really quite serious. And, and, and obviously in the face was, was something that... Um, uh, you know, I never really thought would happen. Um, and I don't think you do when you're playing because, you know, you, you've, and I'd been playing a long time. We had helmets on and, and, and whatever. Um, and, and you never sort of expect these things to happen. Um, but it did on this particular occasion. And, uh, you know, I remember when I, when I first got hit, uh, I wasn't sure what was going on. And, um, all I heard was Desmond Haynes at short leg saying, get the physio on, get the physio on. Um, and I suppose from that point on, I was sort of ushered off. Um, uh, I sort of actually kicked the leg bail off at the same time. So I was out anyway, but I didn't have to take part again. And, um, I wasn't going to for a long while. And, and I think sometimes with those sort of, uh, events that happen, trying to get back on the horse as quickly as you can, so they say, would have been the best thing to do. But, um, I, I remember sort of, going down to the hospital and uh, sitting in in uh, 
in the emergency ward waiting to see a doctor and uh, they were initially sort of worried whether or not um you know anything had gone from my nose into the into the brain there or that there was a blood clot or anything like that and um i had a bit of a once over and and and, and all this time i'm thinking will i ever play again and so i'm sort of sitting there and and just talking to people or trying to and and still feeling a bit dazed. I know Ian Botham was with me. He was he was fantastic, and he, he sort of looked after us. And uh, and we got sitting down, and um, and of course, um, because it was a head injury, because it was sort of so near eyes and cheeks and whatever. Obviously, X-rays had to be taken, and um, you know, nothing like this had really happened before. I had got run over. I have to say, I got hit by a van when I was younger, about 10 or, 10 or 12, I think it was. Um, and I was very lucky to actually get through that, apparently. Um, so this was another sort of what I'd say, yeah, sort of seismic affair. And, and I remember sort of, um, getting to the hospital and, and, um, uh, and it was sort of getting close to, to time to sleep and whatever. And I was sort of lying down and, um, you know, we'd taken some pills and stuff just to help the pain and, and, and try and sleep. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and I, I, I couldn't breathe. And I was panicking. All of a sudden I woke up, fortunately, I think. And, and then for the rest of the sort of two or three days, I ended up sort of sleeping, trying to sit up because something had happened or they were worried about it. And, and I remember Malcolm Marshall coming in and, um, you know, just looking at me and just being sort of, very sort of apologetic. Need, needn't have been because it wasn't his fault at all. I mean, um, it's mine as much as anything. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to sort of say too much. You sort of sitting there, big bags of blood under my eyes. And one of the eyes was a bit bloodshot. And, and then we sort of had to decide what I was going to do. Was I going to go to America? Was I going to go home? Um, who was there? What was going on? And I, I suppose one of the first, well, you know, can I have it fixed and come back? Mm-hmm. Um, because I really wanted to sort of get back into it and because I, I didn't want to, for it to go on so long that you, you know, you were, if you have an injury, I, I always think it's, you know, it's best to sort of try and get back quickly, but safely. Um, and in this particular instance, I needed, I, I felt I needed to get back in, um, you know, to do that. And, how long was it between the accident happening and you being cleared to play again? It, it was around about a month, I believe, because I had to have, I had to get home one, then had to get the operation done. Then once they had sort of, I had amazing, I mean, had this sort of wiring all through my nose and ended up at the top of my gums, which helped stabilize the nose. I had to get a bit of bone from the bottom of my nose and put it up the top here. So that was always going to take a bit of time. Um, but it was amazing what the surgeons had done. And I said to them before I went in, I said, now, what are the chances? He said, well, he said, let's just have a look. He said, you know, we don't know how it's going to, how it's going to work or whatever. And then you've got to obviously, you know, get into a net and have a practice before you go out. And because there's no point you going out. If, if, if you can't see it or you, you know, you, you, you've got to wear a helmet as well. So it'd be the first time that I'd ever worn something in front of my face. Mm. And again, I was getting worried about, you know, crikey, how's it going to be? I, I, I suppose I can only think it was about two, two and a bit weeks. 
um, whilst they let it heal and, and, um, had a couple more x-rays. And then, of course, I had to have all the steel metal work taken out. Um, and it was only then I had to sort of have a couple of days off because of the, of the operation and the, and the sort of drowsiness of the, of the drugs and whatever. And then we had to decide what to do. Um, and they asked me whether I wanted to do it. So we went up to an indoor school and, and all this time I'm thinking, you know, will I ever be able to play again? And, and, and this was going to be the challenge. I didn't feel bad in myself. The doctor said, no, everything's okay. The, you know, nothing happened to your eyes. There's nothing else. You just had a huge gap in the top of your nose, which we filled and it's healed quite well. Um, you're going to have to wear one of these face masks on visor things and then the rest is up to you. And I have to say, I was a little bit nervous. And so we started up the bowling machine and they started firing a few down. And to my surprise and relief, nothing seemed to be amiss. I was wondering whether because of the, the blow to the head or whatever, whether my reaction to be slower or, or, or not. Um, and it was then just a question of how far did I want to go with regards to the practice? Did I want to make it as realistic as possible? If I wanted to go back out, which they said you could, providing you don't have any repercussions or, you know, go out and have a, a good net. So we put the bowling machine on at sort of 85 plus. So it replicate the Michael Holdings and Malcolm Marshalls and the Colin Crofts and Patrick Pattersons of this world. And I started ducking and diving and trying to just get my head moving as quickly as I could and just trying to get back in. Um, because again, as I said, I, I just felt that was the right thing to do. I could have easily just stayed at home. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, one or two of the West Indian guys said, we didn't think we'd see you back out again. And I said, you know, he said a lot of people have probably just stayed at home and, and just wait for the next one. But I, I just felt I wanted and needed to do it. So I got out there. And there was a game in Barbados, which was sort of a test match uh, after after the first one. Um, uh, so they'd played one already, played a second. Um, and then I was coming back, hopefully, for the third. And there was a bit of time in between the second and third, which gave me a time to probably play in the Barbados match, which is where the third test was going to be played. And so David Gow, when I got off the plane... And I got off the plane sort of like, almost like the sort of day before the match. And he said, well, look, you've had a flight. He said, just have a run around, see how you feel. And if, you, you know, tomorrow, if you're fit, you can captain the team. So I thought, oh my God. So anyway, um, I had a net first thing that morning and everything seemed to be okay. And so he said, okay, we'll do it. And I went in at number three, we lost an early wicket, so I got out there pretty quick and I knew what was coming from these guys. They were going to test me out. They were going to see, you know, whether I was still up for it and whatever. And I managed to get through okay the first first spell and, and then this little medium pacer came on and I thought, oh, I can you know, get in here and it would be really nice to get underway again. And, and sadly, for some strange reason, he bowled me a couple of balls in the same over, one which bounced, and I just managed to sort of play a bit. And then all of a sudden, this one just flew off a length, and as I was hitting it off the back foot, it just flew at me. And because I was going so hard at it, I ended up breaking my thumb. 
And it hurt like hell, excuse my French, it really did. It hurt even more than my nose. And people just said, you know, what, you know, what was it like with the nose? Did it, did it, it actually didn't hurt that much. Um, it's a bit like a broken nose. I mean, I walked into a wall or two and I've had been hit on the nose before by a ball, but I mean, this absolutely, I mean, it really hurt. And so all of a sudden, I don't know whether it was, um, your man upstairs who said, um, you know, mate, it's a bit early to be coming back. Just have another, you know, you, you've proven to yourself you, could, you you can actually do it, but just sit down for a few more and give yourself a bit of a few more time or time to get through. So after that, it was it was disappointing because I really felt I was okay. Um, but obviously after I broke my thumb, that was going to be another six weeks and that was almost taking us up to the, the last but one test match. Um, and so we kept going, you know, it kept dragging out. What did you learn about yourself in those two successive times of being out of the game? I suppose that the thing I learned was, you know, I think it was good that I was trying to do the most difficult thing, which is probably get back into it. And I think I did that at home by getting on the bowling machine as quickly as I could. Uh, and, I, and I felt so much better for it. If I'd have been just waiting and dragging the time out and I had to get, get in there and do it. And I thought that was good. But I think the real tough one was actually once I broke my thumb because I was ready to go I think and then I knew it was going to be another four or five weeks and uh, and I think that you know you 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 have to you have to keep positive and I think to be fair the people around me were very very good at the time the team and 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 the management um they were very positive about it and 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 they could have just sent me home again after I broke my thumb they said, no, you've made an effort to come out. You know, we want you to play at some stage. And that helped. Um, and it, it made me feel it was the right thing to do. Um, and I've always, always felt that, you know, sports never easy. It's not an easy game and, and, and you know, it challenges you all the time. And I, and I think you've got to rise to those challenges. You've got to be sensible though. You've got to listen to people. Um, and I think, you know, I just felt, I was in a good place because of the support I got initially from, from others and the encouragement. Um, but as I say, with myself, I, I just felt challenges are there, whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch. And, you know, a lot of people have lots of challenges. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't know how it felt to break an arm and, but people have broken arms and, um, you know, as I said, my nose didn't really hurt so much, but the thing at the thumb was just, oh, anyway, I learned. I learned some, some, some important lessons that you, you, you know, when you, when you are in, in, in that frame of mind, you do need other people. It's very clear that you had the right people around you, um, for all of those times and that that, um, coupled with your own self belief enabled you to continue on in your career. What would you say to someone who, isn't surrounded by that kind of support, who has talent, um, who is very committed to their sport, um, but lacks the infrastructure to help them through that adversity? Well, that's sometimes very different. I mean, you know, when you're playing a team sport, there's always, there's always somebody there. And I suppose individual sports are slightly different, but you then have your team of coaches and your team of people that are around you. So they're very, very important. To pe the, 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 the people themselves, you have to have that inner desire. I mean, if you haven't, then I would suggest that, you know, you, you, 
you will never get to where you need to get to. If you don't believe in yourself in many respects, then others won't believe in you. But if they see you wanting to do stuff and wanting to be positive, then that helps other people, I think. So although you're looking for people to help you, you've got to help them. And I think it is important that the person that's there shows the enthusiasm and the desire to want to get back on that horse as quickly as possible and show they're prepared to work to do it. And I think it's a two-way thing. Um, and that to me has always been important, like the team was, so that you, you know, and I think that's what I love about team sports more than anything is that, you know, a lot of the kids this day and age, they have, we have this mental sort of challenge because they can't find friends or whatever, whatever. And there's obesity and there's social disorder, you know, and, and, and you want people to meet all sorts of different types of religions and, and 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 just different types of people who you know who 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 you would never meet normally um and you know team sports helps build those bridges helps people understand you make friends you can pick up a phone and call somebody you know which you know there's not many too too many things that um people can do that would enable you to do that and knowing your friends are there knowing you're they're going to turn up same time you are and you know you're going to meet them every night and and all that sort of things that gives you a lovely bit of support and a, that that sadly some of the kids don't have these days. So I think that that is so important. Are you feeling stuck? Has conflict got you down? Have you considered mediation? Mediation is a confidential and flexible way to resolve conflicts. Eighty-six percent of all mediations end in a solution, saving time, money and stress for all involved. Thanet Mediation Centre, a Broadstairs consulting initiative, offers mediation services to individuals and organisations in Thanet, Kent and further afield. For more information or advice, email us at info at We are here to help you move forwards. As you look back over your career as a whole, is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? I suppose, yeah, there there are, but it would take other people to do things differently as well. I think what happens when you're you're in a situation, you're in a situation because certain people, and it's not necessarily you that have done things, it's other people that have, if you like, instigated or pushed or shoved or or steered you into that sort of position, to be fair. And I think... I've always felt that I would always try and treat people the same way I'd like to be treated myself. I will always want to try and be, you know, honest with the guys in my team. If I was captain, I would want them to know that I would do things that I'm asking them to do. I wouldn't do anything that I wouldn't ask them to do or me to do. So I, I, I suppose maybe I'm too, maybe too straight. I don't know. I don't, don't know whether there were things I could have done, but. I just felt in times that I might not have wanted to do something, I got pushed into, 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 into doing it to be fair. And maybe I should have been stronger at a couple of occasions and, and maybe diverted down a path or two that I ended up going down. And I'm so, I'm, I'm sort of, if you like, alluding to the, the, the tour I went on to South Africa. I mean, I've never, 
never enjoyed racism at all. I, I always try and treat everybody the same way I'd like to be treated myself. And everybody's different in, and, and, and that's, that's the end of it. And, you know, but they're human beings. It doesn't matter what color they are or whatever. Um, and you end up sometimes doing it, you think, for the family. Sometimes you, you, you have to try and do something different. And some people say, well, you could have helped by doing it differently. So, yeah, um, I got steered down a path a little bit that I wouldn't have liked to have gone through. People might say, you should have been stronger, maybe, yeah. Um, but I don't like unfairness. Uh, and when that, that comes, then people say, well, it's a bit unfair in, in, with people being racist, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. I said, but I can't do anything about that. Well, I can to a degree, but I can't if it's that inbred that it's not changeable. And I think sadly, still, we've got a lot of places that are like that. Um, and it's sad because, you know, people, should be treated equally. End of story. What do you think leadership in sport most needs to be able to improve on that score? The two most important things for me, or three actually, one is being honest with people um, and doing and saying what you're going to do and, and, and giving people, if you like, the picture and how you want people to behave and sticking to that. Obviously, communicating that is huge. Um, so the honesty, the communication, but the ability to listen as well when you're sitting with a team, especially, uh, and to listen and allow them to say their piece. And, you know, the other bits, you know, um, you earn respect. Um, and I think that comes with honesty um, and communication. Um, and the ability to listen. Um, and, and yeah, and so, so for me, those, those sort of things, and obviously trying to lead by example, I, I would say those sort of five things to me would, and if you're looking at any business, and I mean, and, and I suppose, you know, treating people the same way you'd like to be treated yourself within there. And, and I know in an office, it's quite, it's quite interesting sometimes. The boss sort of walks past people, doesn't even say good morning. Um, and, and, you know, that to me is not good. I mean, you know, if you're walking past somebody, definitely one of the people working for you, good morning, how is lovely, you know, nice. To, and, 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 and some of them just walk straight past. Some of their doors are open, some aren't. Um, and sometimes they have to be shut, but you know, I would like to think I was, you know, being approachable as well. I mean, if you're not approachable, then you, you, you can't work with people. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're the sort of things that I believe that, you know, you, you've got to empower people to take responsibility. You want to empower people to be accountable. Um, and, and, and only, only, you can only do that by talking with them and working with them and, and showing them. Last question. If you had to live your longest days again, what food would you choose to fuel them? Oh, my goodness. I'm a, I'm a fairly basic man. Um, I love all food because we've traveled around the world, but you know, it's going to sound horrible, this, but I love all sorts of food. Um, and if it was my favorite, I suppose in my early days, you just couldn't beat a good steak. 
He really couldn't. Um, I've, I've, I've sort of warmed so much more now to some lovely fish and stuff like that now. Always used to like fish and chips anyway, but you know, just more, there's only more fish that are more available these days. But no, you, you, you can't beat a good bit of meat on a barbecue with the boys, a beer, a salad, and a few extras to go with it. Mike, thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, many of the things that you've learned in your career. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on The Longest Day. You've been listening to a Broadstairs Consulting Limited podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Tune in soon to hear the next instalment of The Longest Day. Copyright 2023. Production copyright. Broadstairs Consulting Limited. All rights reserved.